before we go to the text, let's uh, use our imaginations. Let's, uh, let's tell a story. By that I'm saying what I'm about to say is fictitious. And if we could imagine, as you look around this sanctuary this morning, and you see we're spread out all over the congregation, uh, we've already made an indication, you know, there's, we're kind of thin today, somebody said. Can you imagine if uh, next Sunday we had 60 people? Wow. Yeah, yeah, that would, that would uh, be encouraging. What if a week beyond that we suddenly had 80 people? And then a week beyond that we had 100? What if after about a month we said, hey, uh, maybe we need to think about some things here. Maybe we need to have two services. So after six months, we had two services with 100 or 120 people inside the sanctuary. Would that make you happy? It would, wouldn't it? Yeah, there would be this kind of confidence that would come from this. You would say, hey, we're doing something right. God is moving. I mean, look at the numbers. You know, there'll probably be some discussion about paving a parking lot. There'll probably be some talks about a family life center. There'll be some discussions about buying the preacher a brand new truck. <laughs> I said it was a story. <laughs> there'll be discussions about maybe we need to hire a youth pastor. Because we're growing numerically. Something has happened. Hmm. I guess it doesn't help dream. Because in reality we say, you know, we're a church on a decline. You know, our membership is getting older. There's not a big population explosion going on in Martin County. There are other churches that are bigger and larger and offer more things. You say, uh, maybe Reddick's Grove is just a church for older people, you might say. Well, my wife, uh, she grew up on a farm. She grew up uh, in Sampson County. And uh, so she, she always is thinking about planting things and landscaping. And uh, we bought a house, uh, I guess it's probably been about nine, ten years ago. And uh, she decided, when I say she decided, she said we decided, but I said she's decided because I'm, I understand what happened. Uh, she wanted to buy some trees. And so we, uh, we bought, let's see, I think it was about six of them. We put two in the backyard and four in the front yard. A couple of those trees have died. We paid 50, 60 bucks for them, maybe 75. You know, nice hardwood trees. You know, we're going to put them in the yard. And uh, a couple of them died because I guess the soil wasn't right. And say, well, that's, you know, that's just the way it is. Of course, there was a hurricane uh, in, in the picture. But uh, in the backyard, between two trees that we planted, we were pretty impressed. They were growing. In fact, they're probably about 15, 16 feet tall now. You look up at them. But two years ago, we, uh, we noticed something that happened when we were mowing grass. There was a, a volunteer, a little tree that had come up. And so we were real impressed. We didn't pay anything for it. It's okay. It's a bonus. Well, 
it's gotten larger than the trees that we paid money for. It's uh, now we look out in the backyard and sit between these two trees that we pay for and intentionally planted, but there's this one in the middle that's growing, it's beautiful, it's full. It was a baby tree, but now it's a great big tree. And we're impressed, and when we talk about the trees, we talk about that one more, and we talk about the rest of them. The ones we paid money for, intentionally decided where to plant it, but this one here just came here as if God had placed it there. Look at our text. Jesus is telling parables to his disciples in small settings. And it says in verse 31, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Stop there. Jesus tells this parable. He tells another parable that complements it. And when we look at Matthew, the 13th chapter, this is the only two parables he doesn't explain. But he gives them to us. Now, some people have a tendency to mix it up with another place where the mustard seed is mentioned, where if you have just the faith of a grain of mustard seed, uh, the smallest seed, small, minuscule, um, but it grows something big. But the thing that would have stood out to this Middle Eastern group of people who were raised around agriculture, involved in agriculture, is mustard seeds don't become trees. They're bushes. So Jesus is telling a story which is intentionally a hyperbole. It's, it's meant to be big, uh, to stand out to his hearers and go, wait. He says, this mustard seed sown, which he's been telling parables about planting seeds. And he says, this one is thrown out there and it gets big. And, you know, just like the story I told about our church growing astronomically and in a short period of time, how it would excite us and we say, we have arrived, God is blessing us. Uh, this parable is intended to say something to us as well, because remember he says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what church life is like. This is what life in the body of Christ is going to be like. This is what your experience is going to be. And he says as if he's giving us a preview of church history, number one. Number two, as if he's giving us a preview of what your experience is going to be like as you join a church. He says you want to be a part of something successful, but when you're a part of something successful, you see it also comes with problems. He says that not only does it get big and in a short period of time, but he says what is nesting in this tree? The birds. Now he told a parable he started all this with in the first part of chapter 13. What was the bird's role? They picked up seed that had fallen on hardened ground. All the way through scripture, the symbolism, the shadows that are created, are the idea that birds represent evil. 
And, and he tells another parable very quickly after that that's supposed to magnify or further explain. And he uses the idea of leaven. Well, all the way through the scripture, ever since it's introduced back in the book of Exodus, leaven represented sin, an evil influence. And so these birds that come and nest in this astronomically quick and healthy growing tree attract Satan's attention. And he sends birds to destroy it. Now, I said he's giving a preview of history. And that is the best and most accurate way to read the Bible. It's sort of with an understanding of what happens beyond the canon that we enjoy. Uh, Genesis through Revelation. But in church history, the church astronomically grows after Pentecost. I mean, it grows quickly. It's not just a matter of a few extra people started coming. It wasn't a matter they started a youth group or started a Christian camp. No, it grew by the thousands and quickly. It spreads not only across the borders of where they're at in Jerusalem, it goes beyond Jerusalem. It spreads to Samaria, Judea, Galilee. It spreads beyond even the borders of what is known as Palestine. It's around the world very quickly. It's impressive that this movement, the way, has that kind of impact. This is a move of God. Well, you know, this had to make Satan upset. Not only did he not defeat Jesus dying on the cross, he thought he had destroyed this, this move of God. But his death incites people. It makes it multiply. Persecution that takes place multiplies the effectiveness of the church. I mean, the more it became difficult to serve God, the more true, the more pure it is. But then something happened in 300 A.D. This is your church history lesson. Nothing wrong with church history. Something happens that explains exactly what Jesus is teaching here from a method of history. In 300 A.D., a Roman emperor named Constantine comes onto the picture. He's not going to persecute this movement that come out of Judaism. But he decides, we are going to embrace it. We are going to baptize the army. We are going to put a cross in our emblem, and our troops are going to march behind it. We're going to take the public places of gathering, and we're going to turn them into churches, these heathen places. We're going to take the calendar and all these pagan holidays, we're going to turn them into religious observations. Sound familiar? But this embracement immediately makes Christianity a worldwide, because of the Romans and the fact that they've conquered much of the known world, it immediately makes it a world religion with state support. It can be talked about in public squares. You know what happened to the church then? 
corruption, distortion of his doctrine. Satan had come in through the back door. He had taken something that was growing and used it against itself. His tack on the church was internal. Something to think about. Just as a matter of review, remember the parable he told about the sower when he began in the chapter was talking about the condition of the heart determines whether somebody can hear the true gospel. When he told the parable of the wheat and tares, he promised that Satan is planting inside of the church. That's, that's, we have to agree that happens. And then we've gotten to the parable of the mustard seed and we see that the influence of Satan is in success and in multiplication of the church. Meaning that the thing we'd have to warn ourselves about is, as we're attempting to grow here at this church is, is it gets Satan's attention. Because, you see, we are in a spiritual war. I think that's one of the things that's missing in people's understanding as Christians. Is we do not really realize that we are engaged in a spiritual war. Church is not just about being attractive for people to come to church, to have something to offer the family. It's not just a matter about having a beautiful religious service, of being a part of the community. It's about being true to the gospel and certainly aware that this is a spiritual war because Satan's trying to be the greater influence but he's trying to do it through the back door and the subtleness where we feel like we're doing something good can you imagine the church leaders in 300 AD who had never known what church was like where you could actually meet and it be legal uh, not only would it be legal uh, the authorities would come to church. Uh, can you imagine what they felt like when we no longer had to worry about money because Constantine has given us property, influence, authority, positions. You can imagine that was kind of intoxicating. Here's, I gave you an insert, here's the central truth of this parable and the one we're about to read in a minute church growth attracts Satan's attention now I'm not attempting to be heady and scholarly today but if you take you take the same thing that happened to the church early on and we put it in the context of America United States uh, look here we had two great awakenings for those of you who like history, read history, or have ever heard about it. We've had two great awakenings. It's times of spiritual growth. Uh, you know, there was a time nobody had a Bible at home. That's a relatively new thing when it comes to world history and even in American history. You had to go somewhere where somebody had a copy of the Bible. But having the family Bible on the coffee table or having ten copies of the Bible in your bookshelf 
like many of us do. It's a product of the first and the Great Awakening. The first one happened in the 1730s. The second Great Awakening happened in the early 1800s. And some contemporary scholars say there was a third and a fourth Great Awakening. One happened in the late 1800s. And did you know this fourth Great Awakening that they're now recognizing happened in the 1960s to about 1980. And it was fueled by something called the youth movement. Remember the Jesus people? Uh, remember revivalism and the beginning of mega churches and youth groups in every church? That was part of the product. Let me tell you what parallels with that growth or movements in the church. They, they come along at the same time. There's Mormonism. The Great Awakening caused Mormonism. How many people has that led astray? Did you know they're now positioning themselves to be called Mormon Christians? If you get a secular text at a college or institution of higher learning, Mormonism is listed as a sect with inside Christianity. It's kind of deceptive. It's the Church of Latter-day Saints of who? Jesus Christ. Mormonism comes. Jehovah Witness. Jehovah Witness, Seventh-day Adventism. All these came, the Worldwide Church of God. Remember Garnet Ted Armstrong? Occult. Christian scientists, which is neither Christian nor science. But it's, it came off of the heels of people having public discussions and realizing believing in God is okay. The Unification Church. Robert Schuller. Whoa. The Hour of Power. Joel Osteen. Ah, getting your attention. There's a deceptiveness. A deceptiveness. It sounds like Christianity. It looks like Christianity. It's impressive. It grows. The largest church in America right now. One of the largest anyway, at least the top three. Joel Osteen's church. Who can't define sin. Doesn't talk about sin. When asked a direct question, why don't you ever talk about sin? Since people are getting beat over the head enough. I think they need something positive. Huh. Here's the first point. Numerical growth is not the goal. Not the goal. It's not my goal. It's the pastor of the church. It shouldn't be your goal. That's when this is what's matter. What do we need to do to accomplish this? That doesn't need to be our goal. Now, would it please us if we get larger? Absolutely. Would I like to see a time when there's a second service? I'm all for it. I'll figure it out. What, what if that happens? That'd be great, but it's not the goal. Should be your goal. Jesus said, this is the hard thing. 
We sometimes forget these little obscure passages sometimes because it doesn't fit with our church growth theory. But if you look in Matthew, the seventh chapter, verse 13, that's before 13, I know that. Notice he's already said this. Here's what it says in Matthew, the seventh chapter, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the great gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, difficult is the way which leads to life. And I want you to know that last phrase. If you're looking at it in the text of your Bible, underline it. Because that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here in this parable. He says, there are few who find Few. Meaning, there's going to be a whole lot of people showing up, but there's only going to be a few who find it. But we like church growth. In fact, uh, let, me, let me insert, because I, I kind of know this from experience, personal as a parishioner, also as a pastor, if we suddenly found ourselves in a position, let's be a little more modest this time, we have a hundred people that are here worshiping at Reddick's Grove. But then we look back over time and 20 of them dropped out. We would feel defeated. But Jesus says people are attracted to the broad way. In other words, sort of like the Joel Osteens. Come in. Think positive. But then when they find there's a requirement or restrictions. They go by the wayside. He says, in the end, there will be few that find it. Meaning, comparatively, there will be few that find it. Uh, we need to be honest with ourselves as you read through the Bible and you get to the book at the end, the Revelation of Jesus Christ we find that we are warned about a false church where did this false church come from the numerically large the popular the protected church the ecumenical church the false church that's what we're warned about. When do you think that begins? You say Jesus Christ is coming back at any time. It already exists. If you think about it. The Bible warns of a false church. We're already told that there are wolves that devour the sheep. Who's that? Those are people that position themselves to have some sort of authority and use their influence inside the church. These are people that rise up and become uh, a voice to people inside the church. Now look at Matthew the 13th chapter, verse 33. That's the parable right behind. 
that Jesus just moves into as if he's further explaining the first one. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leaven. Did you know leaven is really a germ? In fact, uh, what's that? What's that thing the ladies do? Y'all keep keep something other in a cup, and then when it's time to make bread, you say, "You want some of mine?" And you get a little bit of that, and they go and make bread. Huh? A starter. There you go. It's a germ. And Jesus tells this parable. He says, "All you need to do is to have." Satan, who's the one who's doing the the preparation of this meal, put a little bit in there, mix it up, hand it out. Before you know it, it's consumed. Have you ever you ever heard this referred to as opening the bread? That that what we're doing here is I'm feeding you. All right. You're told to eat God's word. What if we put some things in what we are preaching, uh, just a little nuance, a little correction, a little false gospel, uh, a little liberalism, uh, a little, uh, you know, this and that, because it draws a crowd. We put that into our preaching. What looks to be something good, something we should love, something we should support, something that is getting results, but save it, Satan is in the details. Is this parable making sense now? It not only grows, it grows fast. Birds come, and Jesus says, making that dough. Inserting a little evil, a little sin, a little untruth, and then it'll just multiply. We need to be guarding the truth. That's what the goal is. We need to be guarding the truth. We need to be proclaiming the truth. In other words, the thing we need to concern ourselves with at Reddick's Grove Baptist Church, first and foremost, as the goal for why we exist, is let's make sure that we keep it the truth. That we don't get caught up in the idea that numerically we've got to multiply. Let's become tremendous students of God's Word. Let us apply it to our lives. Let's preach it and proclaim it to those around us. Because there's one thing it says in the book of Acts that I'm counting on in the story that we're writing here. Is that he looked at their fellowship, it says about God, he looked at their fellowship and their love for one another and their dedication to reading God's word and applying it to their lives. And it says he added to their numbers. That's real growth. You know, the other thing we can do is 
and I kind of pitched this in the thing we put on Facebook, there is a science to growing a church. Uh, let, let, me, let me tell you a couple of those things. Well, bring that pig cooker next Sunday. <laughs> and uh, uh, anybody have some live music that we could bring? Bring some live music. And can we get some of those bouncy houses? Yeah, we can get some bouncy houses out there. People arrive by and they say, what's going on over at the church over there? And, and you go bring your extra vehicles and park them in the church parking lot so when people arrive by, they see a big crowd. There'll be some discussion going on. We'll put some things on Facebook. And people say, well, something's going on. They've got this young, skinny preacher now. You can do that on Facebook. You just got to shoot it at the right angle. <laughs> Put the right filter on it. And, and, and we'll, we'll hire us a young uh, person to lead our youth group that's popular. We plan some trips. Hey, one of the things, Roger, we need to do is we need to get a bus. Because if you got a bus in the yard, people know there's something going on there. And let's get rid of that antique sign out there. Let's get one of those with the rolling digital things. You know, where you put some little wise sayings up there. People will be attracted. Then we can look up and we will grow astronomically. That takes a lot of effort. It probably wouldn't be long before they figured out preacher's not skinny. And they ain't going to cook a pig every Sunday. And we've heard about all the gospel groups that we have around here. We'd have to do some adapting to all those people that are coming in. There's going to be some problems because they don't know how we do things around here. And they're not going to honor our traditions. They're going to want to change their music. They want to, going to suggest that the preaching that's going on here maybe is not that user-friendly. Maybe we need to have somebody who, you know, is more encouraging, doesn't call sin, sin. There would be some unredeemed people that would think they go to church here and they want to vote for the direction of the church. Or they decided they don't like the preacher. There'd be trouble right in the beginning. But it was impressive to have lived it. And some preacher from Beaufort County came here. And we built something in six months that we hadn't seen in a long time in the church, if ever. But it wasn't really a move of God. It, uh, it was impressive. It created a stir. But nobody's getting saved. People are still ignorant of what God's Word teaches. They show up, but they're not reading the Bible. The problem is, those of us who started it with good intentions eventually are no longer in the picture, and we leave as a legacy a building, and the people that are left to lead it take it somewhere far from what's pleasing to God. We've got to guard the truth. We've got to proclaim the truth. That is the only goal. Scripture-wide, leaven represented the influence of sin and deception. 
Jesus warned of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those were the legalists. Those were the politically charged Christians, if you will. Paul warned of the leaven of malice and greed. Paul referenced the false teaching as leaven. So our application of this parable is right on target with the harmony of the Gospels and the scripture of the epistles. Here's the third point. Evil is not lurking outside the church. It comes through the doors of the church. That's what Jesus was warning. Bread is a meal. The preaching and the teaching is a feeding. What if there's leaven in it? It begins to be poisonous. Here's one cliche that I want to see completely destroyed in our vocabulary in 2022. Somebody says, well, I don't go to your church, but I go somewhere. And you say back to them, it doesn't matter where you go, church, just go somewhere. No, it does matter where you go to church. You need to go to church where the word is preached under the authority of understanding and proclamation. Where the goal is discipleship, not just building something big and impressive or supporting a budget or brand, but is actually about discipling people. When Jesus was leaving this earth, Jesus is not here, by the way. Where is he at? He's at the right hand of the Father. When he left, he says, I charge you, go ye into all the world. Doing what? Making disciples. He didn't say, I want you to go and plant churches and fill every seat. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I want you to start a worldwide ministry on the worldwide web. He didn't say that. He, says, I don't, he didn't say, I want you to build great institutions of higher learning. No, he says, I want you to make disciples. People who understand what's here. You ever heard of a classroom getting too large for the teacher to be affected? Yeah, you sure have. If you got a teacher who's got 30 students, suddenly it swells to 45 students, the teacher has to say, well, you know, there's more people than I can actually teach. Oh, I still have a lesson plan. I can teach this lesson as we learned during the COVID thing. I can put it out there to a whole bunch of people. Worldwide. But the discipleship of relationships and teaching and undergirding and mentoring, that's done in the context of small, a few. And the idea is eventually these few have matured to the point that they can take a few more and they can disciple them and then somebody in that group comes and adds to this group. There was a movement in the 1970s. I forgot who the author it was. It's been so long ago. Uh, but it was, uh, uh, what was the name of it? It just skipped my mind. I already had it in my mind. Uh, anyway, there have been movements in the past where 
It's taught in the small level and it grows. That's the natural, organic way church is supposed to grow. We like fast. We like uh, 30-day turnarounds. One year of growth. We like outreach departments. We like campaigns. We even got kind of caught up in the idea of having a spring revival and a fall revival. Most of the professions of faith we had were in the spring and in the fall, if we were honest with ourselves. But it didn't add to the health of the church where it's taught. You know, Jesus gave to the Jews a plan. This is where the preaching gets hard. The Bible is taught best in the home, around the table, in the getting up, and in the going down. In fact, in the Jewish home, they have something called the Shema, the passage of Scripture that is their focus and their goal. And that is loving God with all your mind, soul, spirit. It's actually put over the door in a little ceramic. And they passed it. It's the very passage that is on the phylacteries that are worn across the head or on the wrist. It reminds them that their total purpose is to be disciples. Evil is not lurking outside the church. It comes through the doors of the church. Final conclusion before we end this morning's sermon is we need discipleship goals, not attendance goals. We need to really remember that the only thing that's really ever going to provide growth to this church when we get serious about our own faith. That it's not only in the context of where we're at on Sunday morning, it's in the context of what's going on at home. What is the goal? Where you can see personal growth in your own life, personal growth in your family, personal depth in the experience of this church. God will add to the numbers here. There are things that we need to be doing. Uh, I met and I got a, from the clerk, presentation of who is actually on the books at Redditch Grove Baptist Church. There was her in membership. And you know how that works. They leave, they drop out, they don't ever come back, never tell you they moved to another church. Some of you know they've moved to another church. But I've never given any word here to this church. But it was just an honest presentation of this is what is happening in our church. About a three-page list. People who are actually members of this church. I've done the accounting. Here's the truth. There are more people not here than are here. More people not here. I mean, these are people that in the past said this is their church. They promised. 
They were going to surrender themselves to the direction of this church, be discipled, be givers, use their talents here. That this would be a source for them and, the, and, and they would become a source for the church. There are more people not here than are here. There are a whole lot of people who have never joined. We didn't even discuss those. Uh, there are people all the way down this road just getting to Highway 17. There are not as many, but there are a few this way. A whole lot of people behind us. There's a whole bunch of people across 64. Before we ever get to the idea of Williamston, you know, Jesus is going to tell some more parables, and they're coming in the weeks ahead. But there's one thing he says, I'll give you a preview. If you're faithful with a little, he'll give you what? More. You hired this preacher who's actually kind of tired, been doing this a while. His creativity is not what it used to be. His mind is divided a little bit. He's working during the week. You're not hiring an expert in church growth. The growth that's going to happen, God's going to do. But we've got to be faithful first to what he's given us. You agree? Now, one of the things that I can promise you is you are looking to me for leadership. Nothing's going to happen till this actually becomes your focus as well. You know, if you're waiting for me to do something, we'll see what he does. You know, we'll give him a 90-day probation. We'll give him a year probation. We might give him a couple of years. Who knows? See if he can move the ball. No, that's not the way real growth begins. There is this idea that we're praying for it. We're visualizing it. We've already had the parable of the seeds that says, when there's good soil, good condition of the heart, the power of the seed placed in the good soul always produces. Always. It's when it's hard ground or rocky ground or fell by the pathway. That doesn't grow because the condition of the soil. Remember we called that sermon, Plow a New Ground in Me, Lord. You know, we always talk about revival as if the attention is going to be people see something's going on there. We, we got the right speaker. We got the right music. People will be attracted to it. No, in the Bible and in church history, revival begins first when there's a movement inside of the church already because the word's what? Revival. We're looking for it to be a membership drive, a church growth movement. No, it begins when those who are here renew their faith, repent of their lack of attention, who actually desire to see God move and cry out to him that he grants, and I do use the word grant, he grants a revival. You don't pray it down. You know, your faith doesn't impress him to the point he says, well, i got to do it now. They said the magic word in Jesus' name. No. He sees inside of us 
these people are ready for a movement. So nothing's going to happen in this story. But me being the pastor or you being in place until we actually hunger for it. We look for it. We're focused on it. Let's pray.